Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to Truest Blood, the official True Blood podcast. I'm Kristen Bauer. And I'm Deborah Ann Wool. And you've been invited in. Welcome back to Truest Blood, where we sink our fangs into the series episode by episode. This week, we look at the finale of season one with what? episode 112. We did it. Ah, You'll Be the Death of Me is written by Raelle Tucker and directed by Alan Ball. Yes. And this episode is all about second chances. And uh, by the end of this series, our heroes have certainly earned a second chance. Yes. And for our deep dive this week, you asked and we shall answer. Let's talk about fangs, baby. <laughs> and it's so amazing. We were lucky enough to sit with the one and only Alan Ball, director, writer, and creator of True Blood. And he shared the ins and outs of creating the series and his artistic process. I just feel so lucky and it was mm. unforgettable. So let's get started this week on True Blood. In an unusual reversal of fortune, it is Jason who has lost faith in himself and everything else. From his jail cell, he gives away all his things and contemplates a world without him. While Tara is finally living high in the hog, she meets a dashing young man, another guest of Marianne's, named Eggs. So, collecting stray black people, that's some kind of hobby of hers. Tara is suspicious, but Eggs convinces her that she deserves some good luck. But just out of view, we catch Marianne vibrating on the lawn as her butler hides Tara's phone. Back at Merlot's, Andy is making the most of his star turn as local hero, having arrested Jason. And it's all too much for Sookie to bear. She leaves to take a drive and cool off when her car won't start, leaving her stranded in the parking lot. <laughs> Darn it! Son of a mother... And who should saunter up but good old Renee, a.k.a. Drew Marshall. Sookie, still thinking he's one of the good ones, agrees to let him escort her home. Once there, he can no longer hide his murderous thoughts, and chasing her into the cemetery gives her the beating of her life. This rouses Bill, who stumbles into the daylight to save the woman he loves. Not to be outdone, Sam also joins the fight in dog form. As Bill burns and Sam loses consciousness... Their sacrifice steals Sookie, who grabs a shovel and severs Renee's neck. Later, bruised but relieved, Sookie makes amends with her family and friends, but it is the sight of Bill at her front door that heals her heart. You're alive? Well, technically, no. 
but I am healed. She invites him into her home and into her arms. Two weeks later, all seems well. Life is almost normal again for Suki. Vampire marriages are legally recognized in Vermont. Tara is thriving, and Jason has found religion. But it's not all roses for everyone. Marianne and Sam seem to have a past, and it's got him spooked. And it turns out, not even Eric and Pam could handle Bill's progeny and leave her for him to deal with. There are favors, and there are favors. She is extremely annoyed. Worst of all, sober Andy now has a drinking problem and a dead body in the back seat of his car. Lafayette was attacked earlier, and that sure does look like his nail polish. So the finale of season one of True Blood, Kristen. Yeah, I can't believe yeah. it. Big one. So this this one focuses mostly on wrapping up the mystery, the murder mystery of the mm-hmm. first season. There's a big showdown with Renee and Sookie, yeah. Bill and Sam helping out. But I also feel like it's about second chances, that all of our characters are sort of getting a, a second chance to make their life what they, they want it to be. Yes, yes. And for one second, for all of them, we're so optimistic. <laughs> Like knowing yes. it won't last, but like, oh, this is a a big theme of True Blood is setting you up for a terrible fall. Yes, <laughs> yes. So yeah, I mean, I think we can start with talking about about Jason. Mm-hmm. Poor Jason. He starts at just about yeah the lowest place in his life. He's sitting in jail, <gasps> thinking he's a murderer. Convinced he may himself. have murdered his own grandmother. <laughs> oh, the poor guy. He really, he yeah. really does fall off the self-esteem bandwagon there. Yes, yes. Well, it's a reminder again of how insecure Jason really is. You know, for right. the, you know, BMOC cool guy in in Shreveport. You know, sorry, in uh, in Bontemps. Yeah. Uh, you know, he has all the same insecurities that everyone else has. But yeah, so he's, you know, he's convinced himself that he's guilty. But mm-hmm. then by the end, once he's proven innocent, he quite literally gets a second chance at life because he was thinking about killing himself, he admits to Sookie. I know. But unfortunately, what seems to pull him back out of this is the Fellowship of the Sun, oh. which is this extreme <laughs> religious community that is... Uh, yeah. Heaven sent, hell bent, one or both or neither. Or both on we're gonna eradicating see next vampires. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it brings so much deliciousness because we've got Michael oh. McMillan, we've got Yay! Anna Camp coming up. Yes. <gasps> Two of my favorite people. My favorite um, people. We get to actually meet Steve Newland, played mm-hmm. just with voracious intensity, yes. <laughs> pleasantness oh. by uh, Michael McMillan's. I couldn't love them more. For God has given us the ultimate weapon, the ultimate salvation, the sun. (laughs) He's so good. Michael McMillan is just funny in person, funny on screen. He's a genius. And and I some of my favorite days on set were working with Michael. He, Me too. I just enjoyed every single second of his company. He's so good. Yeah. And you know this is a character. It's archetypal, right? As soon as yeah. it's on the page, we kind of know who this person is. Yeah. But Michael brings a freshness to it. Oh, you guys are gonna love him. Yeah, and aliveness. <laughs> It's just incredible. He's such a skilled actor. He has a podcast about acting. Mm-hmm. He's just an amazing guy. Yes. 
So in contrast to Jason, who kind of goes yeah. from his lowest point, you know, to to salvation, uh, Tara sort of starts in a higher point. She, you mm-hmm. know, she she had her low point last episode, mm-hmm. but now she's sort of contemplating whether this is a second chance, whether this is a trick. Mm-hmm. Again, Tara is too smart, really, mm-hmm. to be manipulated easily, mm-hmm. uh, unlike Jason, who sort of falls behind the next strong personality who steps in front of him you know she's really questioning whether marianne is for real whether all this is for real yeah my mama when she thought something was too good to be true she'd say satan in a sunday hat that's exactly what this is so she knows she senses it the audience senses it but she can't help but be sucked in. I mean, I the know. buffet. Oh, she does the I'm cannonball in. in the swimming pool. Oh, there's I. Right. It's heartbreaking. It's I'm heartbreaking. So seeing Tara spoiled, the way she deserves to be, is so lovely, and I'm so angry at the writers. <laughs> no, because I know they're going to take it all away from us. Oh, I know. And I keep thinking of sweet Charlene and sweet Al and how they're like, we, we, the, the type of people they want to surround themselves with are not the type of people yes. they want to see on screen. Yes. And we all agree, but it is mm-hmm. excruciating. Oh, I just, I, you know, you want good things for everything Tara has been through. We want good things for her so badly and, mm-hmm. and a boyfriend who respects her and a, a, a mother figure who's yes. going to care for her and support her. This positive out, like look on life and self-esteem. Yeah. You know, she seems healthier than we've ever seen her before. Yeah, she really is glowing. Oh. Uh, yeah, what is Suki says? It looks like she's been lit up from within. Lit up from within, and she's so happy, and she's got on yeah. eyeshadow and wearing different yeah. colors. And I know it's excruciating. And Ugh, and it's Michelle awful. Forbes is just Ugh. delicious. Okay, absolutely, she's delicious. so good. We believe we just we get sucked in. Yes. It's impossible to resist her even when she does these masterful turns. Ooh. And we see, oh, no. <laughs> and the, I mean, the perfect example is when, uh-huh. shock and awe, Sam recognizes her. Yeah. What the hell are you doing here? Do you think I wasn't going to find you? You silly, silly dog. Oh, you silly, silly dog. I mean, she just... As the actress, she's just relishing this dialogue. Oh. She's just so wonderful, and she's a friend, and I can't wait yes. to talk to her. And you need someone like her in a role like yeah. this, someone who's going to just lap up every mm-hmm. drop yep. <laughs> of this this writing. She's another genius. And then we have Sookie and Bill. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, well, they get a second chance at love this episode. Yeah. Oh, I really, I got weepy. Yeah. After everything they've been through. Yes. And it's just so romantic. The writer's Mm -hmm. just, I mean, it's just, he's willing to die for her. And then he shows up and he's not dead. And then, yes. oh my God. It's really interesting because I, you know, we have this big showdown with Sookie and Renee. And I I like that both Sookie and Sam sort of simultaneously using their gifts Mm -hmm. figure it out. 
So it's them as a, you know, working as a team apart, kind of come together. Mm-hmm. And then Bill sunwalks for Sookie. Yeah. You know, and, and after the betrayal that she had felt and the doubts that she'd been feeling, he she needed to see that from him. Not right. that to right. see him die, but to see him put her first in some way. Yeah, know who he really is. Cause she was really doubting yeah. like, who is this yeah. man. And then there's this really interesting moment because I, I appreciate that Suki, you know, Suki, Suki gets her first kill yeah. in this episode. So we're going to score one for the decapitation tracker. We're uh-huh, going to see how, uh-huh. many, first decapitation. how many heads are severed. Yep, there will first be decapitation, more. season mm-hmm, one, mm-hmm. episode 12. So I appreciate that she gets that kill, but it's interesting because there's this moment when Bill looks at her mm-hmm. and says her name that seems to snap her out of her stupor because Renee's yeah. really beat her bad. Yeah. And as I'm watching that, I'm like, what is that moment? Like, what were they going for? Is it magic? Is it, you know, telepathy? Anyway, so I found my old script. Mm-hmm. And here's what the stage direction says for that moment. Fascinating. Bill drops to his knees, too weak to go on. We suddenly push rapidly in on his eyes, sparkling blue in his blistered, smoking face, filled with an unwavering intensity. Close on Sookie's eyes, popping open as if Bill willed them open. She painfully turns her head, searching for him. Instead, she sees Renee. And it's true. His eyes just absolutely glow. Oh, my God. I know. Sparkling blue. Yes. Well, and the fact is, Rael would have known it was Stephen would have known that he has intense, sparkling blue eyes. I like that, you know, the writing evolves as you know who you're writing for. Yes. Yeah, that is is a really incredible moment because everything looks lost. And Sam, and it is, it's touching too with Sam. They're both out. I had a moment this episode where, you know, she's recovering on the couch and she says, Sam saved Mm. my life. And he just looks so sweet. You almost root for her to be with Sam. Of course, (laughs) we root for Bill and Suki, but for a moment I went, oh, Sam. Definitely. No, I mean, he puts his his life on the line for her. Absolutely. And and almost dies himself in in a lot of ways. I think Renee was about to, you know, smash his head in when Suki pops up and saves the day and then that moment you know she comes out of it yeah you know it it is almost as if bill's love for her mm-hmm. wakes her up mm-hmm. and it harkens me back to those early episodes where we talked about magic mm-hmm. and you know he talks about who how vampires work and you know we don't know how humans work. We have theories and, right, and that right. just because we don't understand it or we call it magic doesn't mean it isn't real. Yeah. And this this feels like a full circle. Like we've come back to that conversation. There is that love is magic. Oh, I know. You know, that's such a good point, Deb, because that's my favorite, probably my favorite bit of dialogue from this season. Yeah. yeah. It's just so touching and, and true. It is. So, yeah, so then uh, we have all this care for Sookie, like you said, mm-hmm. where, you know, she's giving Sam credit. Tara's there. Lafayette is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Arlene has oh. <laughs> one of the greatest moments oh. because it's her fiance who she didn't know was a murderer. Yes. And she just has this big bouquet of flowers and with no lines, the brilliance of <laughs> Carrie Preston <laughs> conveys such a specific story as <laughs> she just sobs and hands Sookie sort of this. shoves him at her yes, doesn't know yes. how to approach her what to do runs in but had to but right had to and it, 
at some point she stopped at the drugstore on her way over to get a bouquet of flowers. I had that thought where she's like, I have to show up with something. With something. So southern and like, I'm sorry my fiance tried to kill you. (laughs) But it's such a great setup for her. And like, how do you get over that? Like she the trust issues you would have of having fallen victim to, you know, she was catfished in person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's staggering. I saw a documentary on a woman who was with a guy like this and she did not, she was not on episodic TV. So she didn't recover (laughs) as quickly as Arlene will. Well, we'll see. I think it does haunt her for a little bit too. I think it's, it's, you know, she's, she's a real positive person Mm -hmm. so she can, you know, pull up her, her bootstraps a little mm-hmm. bit. But, uh, you know, I, I think it, I think deep down it does sort of sit with her. Yeah. And I guess, you know, trying to not be spoilery, but it does yeah. set up her next connection. Yes, that it does. To someone who may understand. Your hair is like a sunset after a bomb went off. Pretty. <laughs> so that Todd Lowe of just kills is Terry Belfler. Terry Bell, he just kills every line. He has another line he in really this does. where, you know, from his car window, he says, I've yes. known a lot of killers. Jason's not a killer, but no one listens to me, but they should. Exactly. Oh, I mean, Poor Todd Terry. is, again, another one of these fantastic character actors yeah. who should just be in everything. Yeah. And yes, that, you know, throughout the season, we've been setting up his interest in Arlene. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now she's available. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty cute. I think that's really sweet. Yeah. Yes. So we had, you know, Bill at the door. Yeah. You know, she for invites him for back his second in. chance. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I, I like that, you know, he, he keeps apologizing and she says, you know, my life is too short for that yeah. because obviously his life is could not. be forever, yeah. but hers is too short and, and she doesn't want to waste it being angry at him or you know, holding a grudge. And after the experiences that they've had, it's this beautiful, beautiful moment. And I, you know, having spoken with Nathan Barr, I was mm-hmm. listening to the music. Me too. I heard the and music. It's, yeah. Sookie and Bill's theme, which has a melancholy edge to it. But here there's a hopeful edge. Yes. I don't know what he did. If he changed keys, if he lightened up his touch, but there's a different quality to the same music in this moment than there has been before. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really beautiful moment. And the romanticism of someone willing to give up their life when their life would be really long, practically immortal, really hit me too. Unfortunately, even though things seem wonderful for Bill and Sookie right now, there's vampire marriage has been legalized in Vermont, just a matter of time before it sweeps the nation. Yep. Bill has a secret that he has not yet told Sookie. Mm-hmm. He has a uh, a teenage terror <laughs> has been delivered back to his Has home. been returned back to once it came. So, who's good date around here? <laughs> My evil little laugh. Oh, oh, I love everything about that. Your appearance, everything is completely transformed. It's so funny. Poor Bill. I mean, Poor to Bill. me, the best, the 
the best of these early Jessica Bills things, you know, scenes are Steve's reactions. Yeah. He just hates everything about (laughs) having to take care of Jessica. He is such a dad in that moment. He is very much so. uh, Or, you know, not a very good dad, but yes, a dad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Nonetheless. And it is sort of fun, you know, thinking about how tough Pam and Eric are. That if they couldn't handle Jessica, Bill hasn't got a shot in hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that line is funny from Eric and Pam. Yes, yes, I love that one so much. And now for a quick bite. Southernisms. Throughout the first season, the writers of True Blood have been sure to pepper the dialogue with witticisms worthy of a Louisiana hoot nanny. We've gathered a few of our favorites. First, from this episode, we have a classic from Renee. It's hotter in here than hell on a Sunday. Second, a colorful example from Jason Stackhouse in episode 110. Uh, I think I might have had one too many beers last night. I feel like I've been shot at and missed, shit at and hit. <laughs> and the third is particularly vivid and a personal favorite of mine. It's from Sookie in episode 107. It'd be easy to sneak up on them. If you think you can sneak up on a vampire, then y'all are dumber in the head than a hog is in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no idea what that means, and it's fantastic. I know. I love it so much. I love how she really emphasizes butt. Very important. (laughs) And there are so many more to come, and we'll be sure to point out our favorites, God willing, if the creek don't rise. (laughs) Bangs. How do they work? Why are they so close together? Do they hurt? Well, it all starts with Dan Rebert and Todd Masters of Masters FX. And thanks to Trini McRae for submitting that question. Someday we hope to speak with Dan and Todd and get all the juicy details. But for now, here are the Fang basics. The concept was unique, right? Yes, very unique. So Alan's vision was really about bringing vampires out of the supernatural and into nature. Mm-hmm. So they were looking at natural uh, you know, animals and how fangs work. So a lot of different things were suggested and tested, but the one that won out was based on the structure of rattlesnake fangs. Mm-hmm. So the cool thing about rattlesnakes is that rather than their fangs like retracting back into their gums, they actually fold them flat against the roof of their mouth fascinating fascinating Um, so the idea of using that idea for the vampires that they would pop out by kind of folding out from the back and then folding back in is a really interesting one it also means that unlike a canine structure which would put Mm -hmm. your fangs on your canines this Mm -hmm. brings them much closer together on the incisors which is a really unique look for vampires you know so far in pop culture so they tried a bunch of different concepts. Yes, they must. They tried have, a bunch, right? and they and they literally made like mechanical working versions to oh see. Oh my gosh! How would you ever? They did make those. <laughs> they made them. They made were like with a little like air pressure button or whatever it was that it could actually oh flick God. the fangs in and out. Um, and they, you know, they kind of looked at like how that would work so that when they were folded back against the roof of the mouth, you would still see incisor teeth. So they're okay. sort of capped 
on the front end, and then that rolls back into the gums oh as the fangs God. flick forward. I can't believe they tried to do that. That might have been something that like we had to have permanently installed until the show was canceled. Oh my goodness! I mean, absolutely <laughs> insane. I think I think part of it was that they wanted something that they could then, when they were doing the CGI sort right. of know what it was supposed to look like. So it was a way to give yourself a model so that your CGI could be better. Right, right, uh, Which right. I, I've always really been impressed by the process on the show of, of having models yeah. to sort of base things off before you go all the way CGI. Yeah, I never thought of that. And of course they did that, you know, <laughs> right? That they went, yes. they investigated many options I mean, all I know is like I I had flown in from the Philippines and then I showed up <laughs> at Masters FX, completely yes. delirious. And they made them. They made them for each of us. It's not cheap. They no. did a mold of our mm-hmm. upper, whole upper jaw. Mm-hmm. Just and like then you would do at the dentist. You, yep. Just like at the dentist. Same exact process. Mm-hmm. And then they made the teeth onto that form. Yes. And you got a hard pair and a soft pair because they're so sharp. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. If you were going to bite someone, you had to wear the soft ones. But the soft ones, if you tried to talk with them, would fly out of your mouth or half fly out. It was hilarious. Like across the room. Like a number of times when I had to like bite someone and then go to speak. And quite literally, I would, you know, get away from me or something like that. And these teeth would just (laughs) spew across the room along with spit and blood and all the other things that you're working with. Like you're a really old vampire and you're dentured fangs were falling exactly out. and they they are like dentures or a retainer and that they just kind of pop in over your natural incisors with a little thin strip of mm-hmm. uh, sort of gum colored <laughs> material yes. to hold them together yes and yeah and hopefully that just kind of disappeared into your gum line yes so it was hard to work with them s's are especially hard to say with fangs <laughs> so hard you'd get little sore spots on your lower gum from the sharp teeth yeah, and that was the thing that I talked about in a previous yes. episode is how you and Steven are so good at talking in the fangs. And you both said you just have to take the pain. Yeah. You just and kind now of have to I give had in. challenged you to a fang off. We both went yes. and got our fangs. We have I them couldn't, right now. Deb has hers <laughs> right there. I couldn't get mine off of the mold and I broke. So I have one fang. Yes. But if we put these in mm-hmm. and we both say Sookie Stackhouse, I'm wondering okay. if now with one fang, I could beat You'll, you. You might do better than me. Oh, boy. Yeah. I'm also out of practice. You know, okay, so here uh-huh. we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. All right. Okay, they are now in. Can you tell the difference? Okay, so I have <laughs> one fang in. Uh-huh. Sookie Stackhouse. Sookie, <laughs> I'm going to do it. God bless. One fang, Kristen. You can do this. I believe in you. Sookie Stackhouse. <laughs> S's are the absolute most difficult to say. Even I, oh, I'm starting to feel it. Sookie Stackhouse. See, you're still better and you have two fangs and I have one You have fang. to kind of, again, you have to just go, I know it's going to hurt and I enjoy it. Sookie Stackhouse. Oh, that is Sookie better. Sookie Stackhouse. Sookie Stackhouse. Yeah. That is better if I just let it hurt. She and sells so seashells big. by the seashore. <laughs> seashells. They are. They're quite large. Seashells by the seashore. But part of it is I am a loud brass teenager, so I can open my mouth wide and be very dramatic. But Pam would look too silly 
doing that. So I think it actually yeah. is more difficult for Pam. I'm going to take that. I think that's just your nice nature. <laughs> I think we should do the whole rest of this discussion with, with our, our three fangs, fangs in. in. Okay. So Deb, let me ask yes. you. Mm-hmm. Um, digital enhancement. How did this oh, work yes. to make it look really as cool really at the end? Um, yeah, so it was interesting. So on set, whenever we needed an ex- shot of the like extending fangs or retracting fangs, just the inner out of the fangs, yeah. we would start by playing through the moment without the fangs. So you go yeah. all the way through, then you do your mouth gesture, and every actor kind of had their own <laughs> yeah, yeah. take on this, whether it's uh-huh. like a <laughs> or a uh-huh. Yeah, whatever your sort of noise or face was whenever you were uh-huh. making fang. Um, then we would pause. The makeup department would bring over your cup or your denture case with yeah. your teeth in it. They didn't You'd touch pop them. them in. They uh-huh. didn't touch them. It was very sanitary. You'd pop them in and then repeat that, you know, same uh, gesture, that extension moment, but this time with the fangs in and then continue with the rest of the scene. Yeah. Then after that, directors could either choose to creatively cut and avoid digital enhancement altogether, or if they wanted to see the extension or retraction, they would use the shot without fangs, but then take the one that had the fangs in it as a concept again, just like Mm -hmm. that original model. They would use that one as a reference shot for how it would look when they were finally, you know, fully extended right and then once you cut away and came back in the rest of the scene could be used with takes that had the fangs in totally yes i mean they look fantastic yeah you always look a little bit dorky but again i kind of like that anytime vampires can be immortal and dorky at the same time i think is a really kind of the sweet spot that we're going for yeah. And and I think your character really did get to lean into that. I was always yes. trying so hard to be cool. Well, and that's the fun thing, too, is we have, you know, the whole fang boner thing, which we will get yeah. into as they happen more <laughs> often. But the idea that when a vampire is aroused, their fangs pop out unbidden uh, yeah. is a very interesting concept. <laughs> when I you're feeling sexy, you immediately become unsexy or less sexy <laughs> because of your teeth. Well, if you would like to inspire a deep dive or a quick bite, submit your question to Fang Club Questions, hashtag Fang Club Questions on socials. And that's Fang with a G. And maybe we'll feature it on an upcoming episode. And with that, it is now time to share with you our conversation with Alan Ball. Now, this was the most anticipated interview of the season for us. I think we were both very nervous about it. But that's silly because Alan is just unwaveringly generous and insightful. Mm -hmm. And so without further ado, Alan Ball. Gosh, I'm already starting to cry, Deb. Alan, you don't. We have to warn you. Yeah, Deb should probably warn you. We've got a tear tracker going on this thing because I cry so much. (laughs) Well, it's been very meaningful for us to reconnect with everyone, and I think especially. I mean, I think you, you know, blessing our track in many ways here. It's really it means a lot to us. Yeah. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's very meaningful to me to reconnect. I, I feel like yeah. between COVID and just getting, you know, turning into an old man, my life has gotten so 
weirdly isolated. I, me too. And so it's, um, it's yeah. very, very nice to, uh, to connect with you guys and to see you. And you haven't changed a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Neither much of you, I have yeah, to say. Likewise. Yeah, likewise. Likewise. Yeah. So, you know, we've been just starting at the beginning with everybody. And I guess the beginning for you. And forgive us because we're probably going to have some new viewers to True Blood. So we have to ask some questions mm-hmm. you've been asked a billion times. We'll try to ask them <laughs> differently. Fine. but. Yeah, that's totally fine. So you were early for a dentist appointment and went strolling <laughs> through the Barnes and Noble, which by the way, that image of strolling through a Barnes and Noble is so wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so I think there's less and less <laughs> Barnes and Nobles now, but I know it was back in the right? day when it was huge. Yeah. It was like the yeah. size of a, of a grocery store. Right? And, and I was just going, you know, up and down the aisles and I don't know what caught my eye about this little book. uh called dead until dark (laughs) and i picked it up and i and and the tagline was maybe having a vampire for a boyfriend wasn't such a good idea (laughs) i did not and i thought that's funny yeah Yeah. and i and i and so i don't know what possessed me to buy it because it's not the kind of book that i would usually buy but it was pretty it was i mean it wasn't a thick book it was a little book and um I took it home, or maybe I started reading it in the dentist's office <laughs> waiting room. I don't know. But I remember that I couldn't put it down. Uh, and I yeah, thought it why, was... Why? Is it just fun? Why could I not put, put it why down? Couldn't, why couldn't you put it down? Yeah. I think it's just the world was so entertaining. Yes. And the characters were so... Um, felt so authentic, because Charlene mm-hmm. is from the South. Yes. And mm-hmm. I'm a Southern boy myself. And so... Mm-hmm. A lot of times it drives me nuts when I see a movie or read a book uh, and it's sort of like Hollywood goes to the South and yes. everybody's accents are way too big and overblown or the book is like, they don't, it, this book feels like it was written by somebody who's never even been to yes. the South. Right. Um, but you know, you guys know the yep. books and you know, Charlene, yep. she was, it was very clever and it was very funny. And mm-hmm. it also was a real love story. And it also had this weird edge of like social social criticism in terms of yeah. the way groups of people are disparaged and 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 uh, in a way that uh, felt fresh and interesting. And I thought this would make a great show. Hmm. And then there were four. There were only four. There were only four books of hers published at that time. Oh. I think she ended up eventually writing thirteen. Yes. yes. But uh, at that time, there were only four, and I went through them like crap. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> and I called my agent, and I said, I think we should option these books if they're not optioned. And um, they, it turns out they were optioned for a movie, but it was about to run out because mm-hmm. nothing had happened. There had been no movement, no traction, right. no anything. And so I had a conversation with Charlene, with Charlene, yeah. And I said, I think this would be a great TV series. I think it's too big for a movie. Yeah. Um, and she agreed and she said, well, okay, I'll, I won't. Um, because, because the people who had the original option wanted to renew it. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I'm going to go with you. Yeah. yeah. And I wrote um, a couple of 
actually, I wrote three scripts. I wrote the pilot and the, the second and third script and gave it to HBO. And they liked it. But they had another show in development at the time that was about vampires. Oh, my gosh. And so I said, okay, well, you know, I totally get that. And uh, I'll, I'll just go somewhere else. <laughs> and they were like, no, 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 no. You can't go anywhere else. <laughs> But they came around and they said, uh, okay, let's make a pilot. Okay. In one interview, you said that HBO asked you something in the pitch about why the show or to do the show. And you said the terror of intimacy. You said you kind of pulled it out and we're like, <laughs> whoa, where'd that come from? And I wondered if even for you, because we look at your successes and, and pretty much think you can do no wrong. But I wonder from your perspective, did you leave that meeting or once they said it's a go, let's do it? Did you think, can I pull this mm -hmm. off? Like what, this is a different world than I've done before. Yeah. The script had worked its way up, up through the higher level executives at HBO. And then Chris Albrecht, who was running uh, original programming at the time and who had run original programming the whole time uh, that Six Feet Under was on the air. Mm -hmm. He called me and he said, okay. Just in one sentence, what is this show about? Oh, man. <laughs> no pressure. And, and I thought, and I said, the terrors of intimacy. That's and brilliant. I really, it was something that I just pulled out of my butt and <laughs> didn't really, you know, if, if, I, if I'd had to elaborate on it, it would have been a, a disaster. <laughs> but he, but he, it sort of worked for him and he said, okay, yeah. all right, okay, we'll do the pilot. Oh, my God. Well, and it's amazing because I feel like that's true. I feel like that is. In we many brought it ways up what the whole season about. for this podcast. We yeah. keep talking about the terrors of intimacy. Of intimacy. Well, I, I mean, I can see how that is a pretty apt description of what it yeah. was, and maybe on yeah. some subconscious level, I yeah. had, I knew that, uh, but it really <laughs> did feel like I was just grabbing <laughs> at straws at the time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think if we can start kind of in the beginning, you know, we've been asking people about their casting and things like that. Um, but we also know, you know, you come from theater. Mm -hmm. I come from theater. So many of the writers that you've hired, yes. the actors, everyone sort of many seem to have this yes. in common. And I guess we're curious if that was intentional, if there's just some thread that sort of pulls people together. Well, I, I don't want to make a big blanket statement. Sure. But I always find, in my experience, writers and actors who come out of theater have a set of tools that they use that allows them to play the beats of a scene or to write the beats of a scene. A lot of people who, who come into audition who don't have training, theater training, or they didn't go to you know, a, a theater training school or anything... They just happen to be beautiful or charismatic and they can sort of say a line, you know, and if you get enough coverage, you can cut together a performance mm -hmm. that didn't really exist there intentionally from them. Mm -hmm. When you're running a television show, it's like you don't really have time to do right. that all the time. And so right. I, have a, I have a tendency to respond to actors who know how to play the beats of a scene. And you'd be surprised how many actors come in and don't. Right. Yes. No, I see it when I watch TV and, and you know, that there's sort of a, it's like a, a general shine, but when we've been, because right, we've now watched right. season one, five times at oh least my gosh. to do this. And 
We are continually blown away by the writing and every actor, how grounded it is with what yeah. mm-hmm. they're doing, right? That specificity of choice. Yeah. And that yeah. the way you said that play the beats of the scene. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And and I think I know that in the writer's room, we tried really hard to keep things as grounded yes. as possible. And we tried very hard. We had this sort of mantra of like the supernatural is is not something that's alien or unusual. It's almost like it's a deeper manifestation of nature. Yes. We were going to ask you about that. Uh Uh-huh. And that seemed to be something that, uh, but you know, honestly, I really was just making this all up as we went. And I, (laughs) and I, I was so lucky to have such a great writer's room because I had never done anything like this. There were so many things about this show that were unique. And I wondered if as a showrunner, how you kind of deal with this, uh, these wild horses that you're the person driving them, you know, it's, and I wondered if part of your Buddhist philosophy guides you, if this was really lightning in a bottle, where Mm. is it that you hired the right people? And then you also said in an interview, it takes on a life of its own at some point. And Mm. this, I could see how that happened. This took on a life of its own and it got bigger and bigger and we had two full crews running and it still worked and magic was made. Mm -hmm. When Kristen, I love the way you put it in your notes. You said like, how do you know when to hold the reins tighter and when do you know to loosen your grip? That's such a perfect way. Yes. Thank you, Deb. You know, picture it. Yeah. I think one of my guiding principles in both uh, running Six Feet Under and True Blood. And even, you know, uh, the other show that I ran for HBO that was really not successful at all. It was kind of universally loathed and reviled. Oh, no. But I think for me, my guiding philosophy is, look, I didn't go to film school. I think the best thing for me to do, and I did this at the beginning of my career and I still do it to this day, is to hire the people who feel like they're the best fit for the Mm -hmm. job and who have the best vision that sort of coincides with mine. And so we're sort Mm -hmm. of on the same wavelength to begin with. Hire the best people to do the, you know, department heads, actors, writers, and then get out of their way. (laughs) When you have really smart, creative people working together and nobody's competing with each other and nobody's trying to win or that kind of stuff, There's so much creativity Mm -hmm. that it's just an embarrassment of riches. And um, it certainly doesn't always happen. It doesn't, doesn't. But uh, it did happen with True Blood. It did. We heard that over over and over over from the people we've spoken to. Alex Wu said the reason he took the job, or one of the reasons, was that in your meeting you said, I'd like to rewrite very little Mm -hmm. if I can. And he really appreciated that. And uh, even Arbo, yes. you know, special effects foreman oh, was like, yes. he gave us time. Like we could he practice said we and got play. To get it right. It wasn't right. We got to do it again, yeah. you know, and, and that you gave him that space to really make Everybody it right. said that because Gary Calamar, everyone said that, you know, yep. you were so great to work for. And one of the things that I am still shocked by is I don't think one script changed from the one that I saw. It was the one that we shot. 
And I'd never... <laughs> well, not significantly. I least, never... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very... I don't think one line of yeah. mine ever changed or went away. Gash in a sundress. I was like, I'm really going to get to say that? This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> really? Gonna you're going to cut that. I know you're going to cut that. I went to HBO and was yeah. like, please let me say that. But like, it, it, it's really an amazing thing. And it comes from the top down, always on every set, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it it's you. You know, and it's the team you assembled. And then HBO well, was very I supportive, mean, yeah. I assume. Those, mm-hmm. those were different those days. Those were different days. Those were definitely different days. Yeah, that was, it was special. Yeah. I mean, we spoke with Charlene about her conception of Sookie and how she was writing this and talked about how perfect people are very boring to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you've said similar mm-hmm. <laughs> statements in, in your interviews and that Sookie is this kind of beautifully flawed yet still super strong. Um, so I'm curious, you know, as you're casting, you know, we've heard we'll, we'll hopefully hear from Anna as well that mm-hmm. she fought for the role. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and what was that? And, and how did that process go? And what is it about Anna? Because she's so iconically Sookie Stackhouse mm-hmm. now. And, you know, what is it about her and, and you know, filling the, the role, your leading lady? Well, first of all, I was so impressed that she, she saw this role and she was like, I want that. Yeah. Yeah. And she came in to read four times. Wow. wow. I just think she has a quality that she's like a little more electrically connected mm-hmm. to some sort of energy source that makes her a little fidgety, mm-hmm. a little, there's like yeah. a, there's like a, Interesting. A, a sort of fluctuating energy that yes. she has that to me felt like I could see that being there for someone who could hear other people's yes. thoughts. Interesting. That she could never just relax and just be in the moment because she's always right. being invaded by other people's mm-hmm. thoughts. And it just felt very real. You know, when she came in, her hair was dark and she was very right. dressed in dark stuff and she was kind of goth. Mm-hmm. And uh, But she, she was totally there, 100% committed, open to taking any kind of suggestion I gave her. And it just seemed, it just seemed right. So special. Did you always know that you would depart from the books at some point? By the time that we got to like the third or fourth season, we were already running out of books. Oh, right. (laughs) And, and I think at some point we just had to do Mm -hmm. that because, um, it's, I mean, they did it with Game of Thrones too, (laughs) even though they, they, followed an outline for a book that hasn't been published yet or something like that. I didn't always know that. I just, I was thinking, I just like this show in this world. And, and, Hmm. and it seems like, uh, yeah, I, I, I never know. I wrote the six feet under pilot and all I, and I, I just tried to open as many doors, um, that we could go through at later points in the life of the show, if possible. Now, when I'm trying, when I'm pitching shows to networks, I have to write, a whole network Bible yes. and break down all the episodes. And, and it's like, really? really? Cause I never did that. <laughs> right. I just wrote a huh. pilot for six feet under and I wrote a pilot for true. Yes. Right. And both of those, the network liked the pilots enough to green light the shows, but I don't think that would ever happen today. Yeah. And, yeah. and boy, it certainly worked to not know where you were going specifically in mm-hmm. both instances. I still don't like to outline because I like yeah. to I like to for it to be a journey of discovery. 
Charlene yeah. Harris. Now, having uh-huh. said that, I have tons <laughs> of unfinished scripts that started right. off and I didn't have an outline and, and right. it, it certainly doesn't always lead to something, but I do like for it to be like, I, I do like to not know exactly where I'm going. But then, so what is the room then? I mean, when you're breaking a story mm-hmm. or a season and you're working with other writers, if you're, you know, how, how does that process go then if you're just kind of everything is open to you, especially maybe working from IP. I learned early on in running Six Feet Under that because people used to uh, write spec scripts for existing shows. Right. And I hired a writer who wrote a really great episode of The Sopranos. And I hired a guy who wrote a really great episode of uh, The Practice. And then I discovered that they weren't necessarily the best writers for the show that we were doing. And so what I do when I'm hiring writers is I will only look at original work, meaning I will only look at spec pilots that they've written, screenplays. I've hired writers off a short story. And then if I'm intrigued by the material and the material feels like it's in the same world as sort of my voice and what will eventually become through all this collaboration, the voice of the show, I'll meet with them. And that's basically just a... That's just like a gut check. Yes. Am I getting any sense of crazy? (laughs) Because writers are Uh crazy. And I've worked in writer's rooms where there's been a couple of crazy people and they don't, you know, neither Six Feet Under or True Blood fall into that category. (laughs) But um, you're going to spend, you're going to end up spending more time with these people than you spend with your family. So you have to make sure that people are adults and they know how to behave and and they also aren't super insecure so that any time a pitch doesn't get uh, a pitch gets rejected it's not like a personal attack and it's hard because i mean writers are very sensitive creatures um we wouldn't know that as actors (laughs) (laughs) very tough i I was gonna say like writers and actors we're we're very similar in a lot of ways (laughs) <laughs> Storytellers. But then once we got that and, you know, once once I uh, assembled a room, the way that I like to do it is we start with we how many we did 12 episodes at that time or 13. 12. And 12. there would be 12 or 13 columns. Each major character would have a specific color of dry erase marker ink. <laughs> oh my um, God, I love this so much. And we would try to like it would say, OK, in episode one. Uh, Sookie meets Bill in episode two, you know, and we do that for all the characters, just like sort of a one line description of what their story was for that um, episode. Then once we had all that, knowing that that stuff was going to change once you got (laughs) into um, breaking individual episodes, we would start breaking individual episodes and we do that as a room too. And, you know, I had veto power. I could say, you know, <laughs> but for the most part, there's nothing better than having a room full of really smart, funny people uh, to, to collaborate on something. Uh, yes, you know what I yes. mean? It's so much yeah, fun. I do know. It is so much fun. Well, I have a question about, um, you know, sort of the pushing the boundaries and the limits and things like that. And, and you know, there's the one half of it, which is, you know, the sex and the blood and the violence. And was there a barometer for that? Or was it just sort of the more the merrier? Um, Yeah. I felt as the show, as, as we got into year two and three and four, 
I started to feel pressure to come up with a what the fuck moment in every episode. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm not sure that was the best, um, the best <laughs> instinct, uh, but it was there. And uh, I mean, I never felt like let's do stuff just for the sake of freaking people out or, or being shocking because that's boring. Right. I personally find that sexuality is a way to really learn a lot about a character. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and is if, if, if you do it right and you're not doing it for all the wrong reasons, it can tell you a lot about people's limitations and their, you know, yeah. fear of intimacy mm-hmm. and, and their needs to act out in maybe unhealthy ways. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it always has got to be rooted in the psyche of the character and what is going on through that behavior rather than it just being about the behavior. Yes. Um, Somebody asked me once, like, well, how, what's the difference between true blood and porn? I said, well, true blood is about people and porn is about body parts. That's a great answer. I mean, sex is just a part of life. And, (laughs) and the shows are shows are about the lives of these characters and this is part of it. And, you know, especially if you have a couple of characters who are in a relationship or a long-term relationship, Mm -hmm. you know, how is the sex different depending on what they're going through and what's, you know, all of a sudden you've been, you know, sleeping with the same person for 20 years. How, how is, how does that change? How do you, how do you, you know, I, I find all that stuff interesting and fascinating and psychological mm-hmm. and spiritual. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just am. I, I feel very fortunate to have gotten a chance to create shows for HBO at a time when the broadcast network standards were very limiting and puritanical. People were very entertained by True Blood, but yet there were many deeper layers there, whether or not they noticed them, but we got in their living room. It feels like when my mom would put vegetables in the macaroni and cheese, you know, it's like, because every generation is becoming more open. And I think Mm -hmm. it's because of wonderful writing, like your writing, because you're in living rooms because the icing is so good. You're in their home Mm -hmm. across the country whether or not they know it, they're eating their broccoli. <laughs> right? Well, yeah. you know, we talked about female sexuality. And again, as a young woman, for me, being on that show and, you know, having such a, a varied, complex conversation about that, which I, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, hadn't seen much on television. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it was interesting being sort of brought into telling that story even Mm. before I had been told it myself um, was interesting. Mm. Uh, So yeah, you know, that always meant a lot to me. And I, a lot of your stories have dealt with female sexuality in a very Mm -hmm. open sort of clear eyed way. And I've always really appreciated that. Oh, well, thank you. That's, that's, that means a lot to me. Speaking of being in people's homes, Charlene, we've been asking people who are part of the show from the beginning, at what point were they watching the show or, uh, watching an edit and go, oh my gosh, this is really going to be something. And and also when they fell in love yeah. with it themselves. Mm. And I was wondering if you had a moment or if you were too close to it, but if you had a moment in a second edit or a pass or hearing the, it with the soundtrack or something where you thought, oh my gosh, this is really good. I 
I made something. <laughs> I remember it was the second episode of the first season. And I think Bill comes to call on Sookie at her house mm-hmm. and they go for a walk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a point where she's close to him or whatever. He tries to glamour her. And his fangs, oh, yes. his fangs pop yes. out. And it's mm-hmm. like a spontaneous erection for like an yes. eighth grade boy in algebra class who's just been asked <laughs> to go like write something on the board. Um, and he doesn't want to stand up. Uh, but there was, it was the way, the way it was shot, the expression on her face when that happened and the score um, mm-hmm. that Nate wrote for that scene where it was playing sort of like, you know, quasi romantic and, but when the teeth came out, it turned to dark and there was like these low piano chords. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking that's really good. Yeah. Huh. Um, so for me, it was episode two. That encapsulates a lot of the show too, that romance, but the danger. Yes. Yeah. That yeah. is so interesting. And so we love that, that sequence on that walk. I think it, might also be where he tries to glamour her and she fakes it and says, uh, and then oh, she yeah, laughs. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And she yeah. laughs. I love that whole yeah. sequence. Oh, and I like, totally. I, I like also when he's like, you have to invite me in. And she's like, what? <laughs> like, you yes. have to invite me in. She goes, that's so weird. That's, that's so weird. weird. I think she tell, he tells her that she can do that thing where it's like, I, uh, I can't remember the word exactly, but I... I rescind your invitation. I rescind your invitation. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And uh and he has to like walk backwards out of the door. You know, <laughs> oh yes, yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was a good episode. That whole second episode was oh, really good. It's so really good. Great. Well, part of what this podcast has done that I think has been really special, especially at least for me going through this, is remembering how spectacular these years were in our lives, yeah. how impactful they are. The number of people we've spoken to, Alan, who have said that this changed their life, Mm, not figuratively, Mm -hmm. shifted things for them in a significant way. And, you know, I think all of us look to you. And, you know, Kristen and I were a little nervous about this interview because we admire you so much and are so so grateful to you for providing this opportunity for us because it changed our lives. Well, I'm so grateful to you guys for being so good and for, because, you know, (laughs) I was, I was lucky enough that I cast the right people, but I, you know, (laughs) True Blood is not something that could have survived a really, if it, the really wrong cast. And I think you guys brought everything to it that it, it, it wanted and more. And uh, for me, it was just a, it was a real joy to, you know, get to play in this world uh, populated by so many people who I really uh, respected their, their talent and their um, discipline. And uh, also it was just so much fun fun. and everybody seemed to be having that at the same time. And it just doesn't get better than that. It does not get better than that. Deb, I'm so moved. I'm a mess. I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know if it'll stay, but I, I honestly don't know how we edit it. I don't, I don't know how know we take how out we a single that. word. Oh. So hopefully, if we do have to edit, we'll be able to release something uncut at some point because he is just full of 
wisdom and depth. I mean, how, how deeply he sees into life, every one of these yes. themes, issues, life, how deeply he sees into life and puts that into art and willing to share it with everyone. I, I'm so touched. Me too. And Teb, like we got to, I can't even say it. <laughs> this is, I'm a mess, but like, I feel so lucky that God, you're going to have to, Chris, you're going to have to do the snot sound, but like <laughs> we, um, we got to like be in that show and, and say those words and I know somehow today just hit me. I know. No, me too. Right. It was a privilege. It was a privilege. It was a privilege. Um, and I'll always remember it and always be grateful for it and always grateful to him. And, you know, from the first second that I sent him an email saying, hey, we're doing this podcast, he said, great, I'm in, I'll be interviewed. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I, in doing the research, I watched him accept his Oscar. Right. And I was like, oh, Lord, right. these, my, I really got to go over my questions again. How are we going to interview this man? <laughs> you know, and uh, he just showed up with bells on today. And with that, we conclude season one of Truest Blood. Oh, my gosh. And we'd like to take this opportunity to personally thank Janina Gavankar, Gabrielle Galan, Christopher Wool, and the whole team at HBO for making this possible. And thank you so much to all of our guests, to the hundreds of hardworking people that made True Blood a reality, and to you, the listeners at home, yeah. who are who we do all this for. Yes. Yes. And, and Kristen, it has been just a privilege to revisit this show with you so far. I really look forward to what lies ahead. I know it's been such a privilege, Deb. Of course, I'm crying. <laughs> well, coming up on Truest Blood, werewolves and witches and fairies. Oh, my. <laughs> Thank you for listening, Trubies. Subscribe and follow wherever you listen to your podcast. And we hope to see you real soon. Y'all come back now, you hear. Truest Blood is produced by Safe Haven for HBO Max. Executive producers are Janina Kavankar, Kristen Bauer, and Deborah Ann Wool. Our producer is Gabrielle Gallon, and our audio producer is Christopher Wool. Our theme song was recorded just for this podcast by Jace Everett. Additional music was composed by Timo Chen. And remember, you can watch all of the original episodes of True Blood on HBO Max. Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max.